Good morning, West Bolts. It is good to be with you this morning. Man, what a blessing to have that sort of a platform to then preach from. How about Kim and Deb and Eric and Christiana, Daniel, Susan, Will and Dan, that worship team blew it up this morning. Thank you, guys. How different would your life be if you took those worship songs and those anthems and just repeated those daily? God, for the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. God, you're calling me out of the grave and into life. It'd be a different way to start our mornings. Um, and we're grateful that we get to start our mornings like that. So thank you for doing that. Um, yeah. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. What a beautiful, beautiful way to start. Uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. Uh, like Thomas mentioned, my family and I came here about two years ago, and it was immediate that we recognized the warmth and the friendliness and the community of this church. And we were brought in immediately and really absorbed into this body in such a beautiful way. Uh, you, West Bulls, do what other churches are trying to figure out how to do. You have it. <laughs> we have this sense of community that creates this warmth, this sense of belonging almost immediately. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you mean to this church and what you mean to this community um, and what you've meant to our family. In preparing for this message, um, it became even more clear uh, the effort and the sacrifice that goes in on the part of people that are on staff, the elders, the volunteers of this church uh, that just pour in, pour in that we might be poured into. And, uh, and God really put two things on my heart for these people, um, uh, from Thomas and Nathan and Ryan and John and David, uh, Dave and Scott, uh, all the people, Melanie, that are in that building over there that work day in and day out uh, to bless us, to bless this community. Uh, they need our prayers. Uh, they need us to pray for them, to, for them to be strengthened, for them to be encouraged. We need to pray for their marriages. We need to pray for their kids and for their families because they're at the forefront. They're at the forefront and they are, uh, the enemy doesn't like that. And so we do just pray for safety, um, for purpose, for uh, just continued impact uh, over you uh, as you lead us so well. Uh, we're so grateful for you. And that leads into the second part. I really want us to uh, focus on encouraging them. I had a friend that would start off his speeches to large audience saying, raise your hand if you feel overappreciated. Not a lot of hands got raised. <laughs> Not a lot of us have been in that position where we're like, man, I can't take it anymore. I am just too appreciated. Um, but uh, that goes to say, and that makes the point, if something really strikes you about something that somebody's done here for you or anywhere else, but specifically the people that I've mentioned, um, whether it's up here in the service, whether it's downstairs in children's, whether it's during the week in recovery programs and the special things that go on men's groups, women's groups, children's groups, uh, the youth groups. Uh, don't take it for granted that that person that you're grateful for knows just how grateful you are and what you're grateful for. Uh, let's do a great job as a church of speaking specific encouragement into the people that pour into us daily. Um, 
the kids that are down there volunteering right now, uh, taking care of our kids. Uh, a lot of times, the, a lot of these things go unrecognized and unnoticed. And we have, a, we have a wonderful opportunity to edify the body with a couple sentences, with a couple words from our heart to theirs to lift their spirit. And so uh, Thomas has told me, he's promised that if he ever gets to the point where he feels overappreciated or anybody comes to him on his staff and says, I feel overappreciated, then I'll be back up here saying too much. Uh, until then, let's really pour out. Let's, let's focus on that. Um, it was a humbling week. This is, uh, this is not something that I do normally. And so my natural inclination when I heard it was numbers is to pick that verse that's been my go-to, that thing that's so easy to talk about that I've talked in smaller groups about. And twice God was like, no. Uh, he gave me a different verse. He gave me Romans 8.29. And while Romans 8 has been transformative in my life, uh, Romans 8.29 would not be probably in the top 10 of verses that I would choose to speak on. So I asked him again. <laughs> He confirmed that later. Uh, Romans 8.29 says, For those he pre-knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is a loaded verse in a loaded couple verses in the Bible. This has created theological schisms uh, from the beginning that last to this day. That question, uh, that lasting question of Free will camp versus predestination camp uh, has, has torn people apart. Um, fortunately, God didn't put it on my heart to preach about that part. <laughs> uh, the word that stuck out in this to me, uh, that God really put on my heart to talk to you about today, is conformity. Um, what does it mean to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be conformed to the image of his son, to be brought into that familial position where God is my dad, and Jesus is the firstborn, my firstborn brother, my big brother. It's hard to not think about another time the word conform is used just a couple chapters later in Romans 12, where Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Isn't this the nature of our beautiful incredible, unfathomable God, that in this first idea of conformity, there's a certainty to it. So without going free will or predestination, there's a certainty to the idea of being foreknown. There's a certainty to the idea of being predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's going to happen. Right? And just a couple chapters later, God says, there's a beautiful invitation to say, and I want you to put these things down that I might better fill you with the conformity of Christ. I want you to put down the things of this world. And so while God is completely sovereign, he, in a beautiful way, like a father to a son or a daughter, he invites us into this place, into this partnership, where he says, and, and you have a role to play. In fact, I thought of you before I made you, and then I made you, and then I put you in this place in time, and I have a specific role for you to play. What a special thing. So in looking at these, it's not surprising then that there are two different uh, Greek words used for the word conform. In Romans 8.29, 
and I have a couple of people from Steve Medinho and Brad Pelsu can correct me in my Greek pronunciation if I get it wrong after the service. But, uh, but the word conform uh, is sumorphizo. Sumorphizo is having the same form as another. Uh, there's a certainty to it, and this can be an internal transformation. The conformity uh, to this world that's talked about in Romans 12 is a word, suskamatizo. Uh, and that is slightly different. This means to fashion or shape one thing like the other. Unlike the first word, sumorphizo, uh, this word can be much more, or is much more transitory, is uh, much more changeable and unstable in its nature. This word cannot be used to refer to internal transformation. And doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that make sense that uh, when we try to trans, uh, I'm sorry, when we try to conform to the patterns of this world, it's an ever-moving target, right? Just when we think we've really nailed it, trends change. <laughs> something changes at work. Something changes at home, and no longer uh, does that particular thing work. It's it's uh, it's completely unstable. What a beautiful thing again that God invites us into this. Uh, this story of his. Uh, as I was thinking more about why God might give me this verse, it makes a lot of sense because my story is one of conformity. Truth is that we are going to and are constantly conforming to something. As we look at these two verses, there's a certainty that we are constantly conforming to something. In fact, it would, it would seem to indicate that our default is to conform to the patterns of this world because he says, be no longer conformed. The idea is that we have been conformed in some ways um, and that he's asking, and it's even an active putting down and a renewed putting down of the conformity that we have in this world. Um, there's a great uh, old candid camera skit that I think really characterizes conformity well and, and sometimes unknowingly on our parts. Let's go ahead and play that. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently... Dramatic pause. How this man in the trench coat... <laughs> the gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat <laughs> tries to maintain his individuality, but little by little, looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before.
Here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. see if we can use now we'll see if we can use group pressure for some good now in a moment on Charlie's signal everybody turns forward notice they take off their hats and now do you think we could reverse the procedure watch Things can be in black and white and still funny, can't they? Uh, two things stick out there. Uh, first, it would be really fun to be one of the five, four or five people in that elevator and really hard to laugh. And the other thing, if, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to think I would be the guy that would conform. <laughs> I think I would be the guy to get in and I'd, I'd stay looking that way. That's when God reminds me of some of the haircuts and outfits that I wore growing up. Uh, and even as I say that, I'm sure that some of you are thinking back to your childhood and some of the haircuts, some of the outfits, some of the dances you did growing up, uh, that for those of us that were, uh, were pre-Facebook, we are grateful. <laughs> there is no memorialization of those things. Um, I know for me, uh, there, was, there were these pants, and they're right up here. They were called Z Cavaricis, and I begged my mom to get me these things. They went out to about here, and he's not standing up so you can't see, but the crotch goes down to about here. And then what you kind of can see is we would then tight roll the bottom of those so we could show off our sweet uh, sockless, multicolored loafers. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the haircut speaks for itself, right? Uh, I went down, this almost became my whole message as I started looking at the different bad fashion trends of each decade, uh, because as you go through it, I, <laughs> I went into a black hole of time, and I was like, this is going to take 20 minutes of the message. I can't do this. So I'm just using this one. And I think what's also interesting about this one is when people uh, get older and shave their head later in life, it's really hard to match them to their childhood, um, their childhood photos. And so I can neither confirm nor deny that this is Pastor Thomas. Although he did deny it in the first service, but nobody heard that. The question is, um, we're, we're conforming. What are we conforming to? Uh, we're going to conform. Uh, there's great advice that goes around as you grow up, and I got that same advice. You see it on posters in classrooms, and it's just be you. Right? What great advice. Honey, just be you. That's all you need to be. That's great advice if you know who you are, which I didn't. And so uh, instead of coming up with who I was out of thin air, uh, I looked at Jimmy to my right, and I said, people seem to like Jimmy. Jimmy's a pretty likable guy. He's got some great characteristics and qualities. I'm going to take on some characteristics of Jimmy. And Tommy over here on my, on my left uh, is slightly different than Jimmy, but also has some admirable qualities that I would like. Ultimately, forming this facade... Uh, of a person 
where people would like me, would, would see attributes in me that I liked in others, and so I took those on myself. Uh, but really, it had nothing to do with me. And just like that, uh, the conformity of Romans 12.2, it, it was unsustainable. Uh, nevertheless, it went on. And, and it grew to where it wasn't, we weren't just in one classroom anymore. We went to high school, and so we had all different types of groups. So you had the, the guys that I played football with, the guys that I played baseball with, every other group that you can think of in, in high school. And in order to maintain that level of feeling wanted, that level of likability, I had to change from each person I went to, each person, each group of people that I went to. So I'd be a certain way here. I might walk into the next room and be a certain way there. Uh, it made me very good at picking up on what people like, what people value, uh, and yet it was, it was certainly tiring. <laughs> Definitely not that rest that Thomas was talking about earlier. Uh, as I got to college and, and graduated from college with an economics degree, uh, the way my conformity played out there is, is I wanted to conform to what other people viewed as being successful in this world. And the people in my particular circle viewed autonomy. Being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it, that was success. And so as I talked to my different friends in different industries, uh, I pretty quickly saw that those in oil and gas fit that bill. It seemed like they really got to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. It seemed like they really had that level of autonomy. And so that's what I did. I went into oil and gas. And... It was only a couple of years before I'd reached that level that I thought I wanted. I was in a small town making more money than I could even begin to spend there. I was making my own schedule. I really didn't have a boss per se. There were people that I uh, provided things for, but they were really my client. I, I was independent uh, in nature. Um, that worldly definition of success at that point, I'd gotten there, and yet I was empty empty. It was not nearly as fulfilling and rewarding as what I thought it might be, which makes sense, right? This is that conformity to the world. This is that unstable and changing and outside-in way of conformity. We all do it. We all do it. It's just a, it's a question of our awareness of it. Uh, and it can be in things that are really kind of generally obvious, uh, the same things that I shared, uh, that worldly definition of success through money or career or title or possessions or being in a certain uh, 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 organization or being a part of a certain group of people or around others. Um, and then there are the more subtle things, uh, the conformity to maybe the words of an influential person in your life whether uh, present or past. Maybe those words of a, of a coach or a teacher, a parent or a pastor, those still resonate in you and, and you feel like you need to conform to, to what those things might be. Uh, in our positions. Um, I was talking to Pastor Thomas about this. He's, the idea of of even when it comes to good things, you know, the role of senior pastor, or uh, I led a, a boys' ranch. I was the executive director of a boys' ranch. And, and it's so easy 
for me to step into that place and just be what it has been. Um, to try and be that, either that former leader or what the world says it should be. And this can play out in many different ways. What kind of a dad I am? Or how the, how the world views me as a dad? What, what kind of a dad people say I should be? What kind of a mom? Um, what kind of a worker? What kind of a churchgoer? What mold am I supposed to fit? Uh, so there can be some sneaky forms to conformity. So I'd ask you, I'd ask you to consider this. What are you currently conforming to? What patterns of this world are you currently conforming to? Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and convict you that of this thing that doesn't line up with the other, with that conformity to the image of Jesus. We all have things. There's no shame or guilt in it. Um, and he has the better. That thing is a cheap imitation. It's unstable and it won't last. I'm, I lived it out. I, I know that. I can say that with assurance. On the flip side, conformity to Christ yields two things. And it starts inside out. When I, uh, when I got up here last time uh, a couple months ago with Thomas, I talked about there's three questions that are important that we all answer. And it's important that we answer them in this order. It's who is God, who does he say I am, and what does he want me to do? It's really easy to go backwards on those and to get it wrong, even, even well intended. But the truth is that God desires this change, this inside-out kingdom. He desires it to, to start internally and to go externally. And so conformity to the image of Christ, the certainty that we're walking in, Jesus has, God has promised to us, yields first an internal change and then an external change. This internal change has to do with the ideas of what we believe and our identity. Even secular psychology says that all of our actions are driven by a belief, whether conscious or unconscious. That makes belief important. Uh, who we are, who we believe we are, will drive that belief, will drive our actions. The truth is, I can exchange the world's lies for God's truth and promises. That's the beauty in this. That's what I can put down. That's what no longer conforming to the patterns of this world means. This brings me in agreement with two things, both who God says uh, I am and who he says he is. It answers that question, who is God and who am I? And this conformity is also a part of my story. Uh, that learning to put down those, the things of this world, those things that, quite honestly, in some ways had even protected me and served me well, kept me what I perceived to be safe um, from the hurts of this world, but were simply cheap imitations and, and less than what God had for me. And so for you, um, I would encourage you to not go very far, to stay in Romans 8. Uh, there's some beautiful declarations that God makes in this chapter that I believe are life, that I've lived out are life-changing and, and transformative. The first one is Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation, no condemnation, no asterisk with Eric's name or picture at the back of the book. <laughs> there is no condemnation. Therefore, when I hear that voice of condemnation, I know that's not the voice of my father. I know that's the voice of my enemy. 
Because my enemy speaks to me in, in the voice of inadequacy. Eric, you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You can't be that. He speaks to me in the voice of, of shame and guilt. You remember what you've done? Remember all those sins, all those people you've hurt, all those people you've wronged, all those things you've done? That's who you are. But I know that's not the voice of my father, right? And so at that point, we have a choice. We have a choice to step into the conformity he has for us or go back to that conformity of the world. Maybe uh, Romans 8, 14 through 17 talks to you. The idea that you are a child of God. Um, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. I love the song we sing here sometimes. Uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. What a bold declaration that is. My question is, do you feel like you belong? Do Do you believe that God has chosen you, adopted you into his family, calls you his own, that no longer do you have to be subject to that fear, the fear of the world. Because goodness knows that this world is presenting and throwing fear at us every which way, externally, internally. um, Everywhere we go, we see fear. And yet... It's that sense of belonging, that sense of position as a son and as a brother, a son of God, a brother of Jesus, a co-heir with Christ that says, I belong. I don't have to fear. I'm a child of God. Maybe for you, it's Romans 8, 28. Uh, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are, are the called according to his purpose. God's truth God's truth is that God brings beauty through brokenness. How often do I, do we, try to sidestep pain and suffering? Try to go around it, stuff it, over it, put it in our past, not go through it. Or maybe we, uh, we come from that place of feeling like we deserve it. Feeling like we, we deserve this pain and suffering. And and the truth is that we have a God who will take every one of those things, all things. Again, there's no asterisk to that. I don't have to look to the Hebrew or the Greek on that. It's all things. He's going to take every part, every part, and he's going to work it for your good. You don't see the good yet? He's not done. God brings beauty through brokenness. Maybe it's Romans 8.31. Maybe it's the idea, if God is for us, who can be against us? And again, this is a, kind of an easy one to say and a harder one to believe, meaning that if I believe this, my actions will, will uh, demonstrate that. Because it's hard. It's hard when I see and I experience and I'm in the midst of things that seem insurmountable. Death, illness, strife, struggle, job loss. Um, the, the terrible things, the, the darkness of this world. And yet God is inviting us to the reality that he's bigger than any of that. He's bigger. And if God is for us, 
who or what can be against us? It's kind of like, you know, do you know who my dad is? <laughs> do you know who he is? Um, and then lastly, Romans 8.39. Beautiful passage that I can't read from here. <laughs> um, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, the key word is nothing. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For us as believers, there is nothing, not one thing. And Paul even uh, articulates a lot of those just in case we had questions about it. There's not one thing that can separate us from his love. Each of, this each of these things challenge us to a life of faith, to seeing, believing, to, excuse me, to uh, seeing the unseen, to believing, receiving, and living into God's truth and promises, as opposed to what feels like is right in our face at the moment. Uh, that's the beautiful invitation into that. But where you land, where I've landed in this by his grace and believing these things is the truth that I'm loved. I'm safe. I'm chosen. I belong. I have purpose. And so as we look at those, those five truths that we went through up there, which of those do you need to internalize? Is God, is that spirit stirring in you to say, from this point forward, that voice of condemnation will not rule in my heart and mind. From this point forward, the idea that I am anything, anything but a child of God, that there is no label that comes on me before a child of God, no more will anything come against that. Or maybe it's from this point forward, I am going to latch on to the goodness of my Father, of my Heavenly Father. I'm going to believe that regardless of what I'm in, that He has beauty on the other side of this thing. As impossible as that seems, that He has beauty on the other side of this brokenness. And I don't say this from an arrogant position because the, I ended up in the opposite place of autonomy. I was sick. At 28 years old, I was sick on my parents' couch, laid out for almost a full year, totally incapacitated. God allowed me to die a death, a, a physical death, an emotional death, a financial death. And, and as you think about what is kind of the opposite, <laughs> there's, uh, if you were to see it on a TV show, if they were to, to demonstrate or, or paint a picture around what is the opposite of autonomy, it's living in your parents' basement on their couch. And that's where I was. And yet, I wouldn't trade it for anything because God has brought beauty through that brokenness. And it is only through going through that that he allowed me the grace to shake those things, that conformity to the world. Maybe for you, maybe for you it's the God is bigger, uh, which can sometimes really tie into the one before it. Um, you know, God is bigger than that obstacle I'm facing. Whatever that is, as big as it seems, he is the God who moves mountains. 
And then lastly, nothing can separate me from God's love. The world would say, and most world religions have the idea that, that, that a God's love is conditional, that I must do something to earn God's love. And our God doesn't say that. Our God says, here's, it's a gift, and when you have it, there's nothing that can separate you from it. The other lie we can believe on that one is God's love is far from me. It's not. He says, he uses this analogy of being a dad and a brother. God's love is not far from you. And so who needs to hear that today? Who needs to hear you're loved. You're safe. You belong. You're purposed. Your dad is the God of the universe, and he doesn't fail, and he won't let you down. If we come from this place, we can't help but be changed on the outside. Our actions can't help but be changed. If I come from a position of love and safety and purpose and belonging, there's nothing that can shake my identity. And so what this creates is, is freedom. No longer do I have to uh, compare myself to others. I'm free from that because I'm listening to my heavenly father, right? And I'm letting him, the, the creator of the universe, I'm letting him tell me, who he is and who, he, who I am, who he made me to be, as he conforms me to the image of his son. I no longer have to put, feel worse or better than people. I'm free for comparison. And what does that really free us up to do? It frees us up to be unified. It creates this beautiful platform for unity. Because if I start here, if I start here, then I have to worry about do I agree exactly with you? Do you value things exactly like I value them? And horizontal unity is difficult, if not impossible. But I think our God paints a different picture. He says, come in line with me. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you how loved you are. Let me tell you how purposed and how much you belong and that nothing can shake that. And watch how I transform how you see everybody else in this world how you begin to appreciate their stories, their uniqueness. I would point out in this verse, in Romans 8, uh, 8, 29, that conformity doesn't seem to mean uniformity. And I say this because God chooses to use the picture of a family, right? That we're brought into conformity with Christ, that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so we have two boys, both those boys somewhat look like us. Hopefully, as time goes on, they'll begin to look more like their mother in a masculine way. Um, but they're, they're completely unique. And do, do we desire to have similar values and um, uh, the things of, of God, those truths for them to live by as their, uh, as their true north? We do. And... They each were created for a unique purpose. And it's clear, even at three and five, you can begin to see that. And so in a, in a really neat and unique way, this conformity frees us up to be exactly who God created us to be. Uniquely. I think that there's a neat analogy, too, in, 
in symphony orchestras. Uh, we're coming off the 4th of July. Some of you heard some of the John Philip Sousa uh, symphony uh, songs that come out of that. Awesome, right? When you hear a symphony come together, it's one of the most beautiful things. And while I am uh, by no means uh, uh, belong in any part, even the triangle of the symphony, uh, I learned something really neat about the symphony is that everybody tunes into one instrument, and that instrument's the oboe, unless there's a fixed uh, tuned instrument like the piano, they'll tune into the oboe. Beforehand, the oboe is tuned into uh, typically now an electronic tuner of some sort to that true A, uh, 440 hertz, which doesn't mean anything to me other than I made it as a note. <laughs> um, but I think there's a beautiful analogy there, this idea that it's not about tuning in to everybody else. It's about tuning in to the Father, having him sit with us, tell us who we are. Because the truth is, we, this isn't the power of positive thinking. This is being transformed by the presence of God. Because only he can tell you these things and, and have you be transformed. This is not just reading things out of a book and repeating them. Uh, this is getting with God and allowing him to make these things real in such a way that they're so firmly planted in your heart that you can't help but believe it. And so what a beautiful thing that, that the whole orchestra is tuned to the oboe, which is tuned to that one true note. I think there's a beautiful, that's a beautiful picture for what God desires for us as a church, for what unity looks like. It's not that we're all violins. It's not that we're all percussion instruments. It's not that we're all trumpets or, or different brass instruments. It's that God created us to play a unique role in his symphony. And our life is about learning, God, what is that? And how can I tune to you in such a way that I can make beautiful music with everybody else around me. What an incredible impact we can have when we not only play that music here, but then go out into our communities. The idea of what that kind of unity in this world of disunity, chaos, and brokenness can bring. And it starts with a conformity from the inside out. I think Jesus says this well in his prayer in John 17. Right when he gets finished praying for the disciples, he prays for us. He says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. What a beautiful picture. What a powerful thing that the God of the universe indwells us. We're conformed to the image of his Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that not just we are transformed, 
But then we come together as a transformed people to transform the world. And so church, what's your part? What is your part? What is God calling you to today? May we sing that anthem together for the sake of the world. Burn like a fire in me. For every eye to see. May we all live that inside out uh, life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, Abba. Ah, It's overwhelming to think that the God of the universe invites us to call him daddy. And yet we do. God, we we believe you. And we believe uh, you when you say that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of your son. We believe you when you say that we belong to you, that you have chosen us, that you have adopted us into your family. God, we believe you that you're bigger than what we're facing today. God, we love you. Thank you for changing me from the inside out. May that transformation have a ripple effect into this city of Littleton, uh, into each person in this church, into uh, the city of Littleton, into the greater Denver metro area. May Littleton become known as a city of life. God, we love you, and we believe, and we receive, and we live into your love. In Jesus' name, amen.